1: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: She should have known. Oh, God. Help. Not to talk to strangers. Please. Not to get in their cars.
1: They're going to kill me.
0: Not to sleep in their beds. <laughs> Especially in the dead of winter. Dead of Winter. Rated R. Starts Friday at a select theater near you. In a world where podcasts reign supreme, two friends dare to ask, do you even movie... Hosted by filmmaker Enrique Cuto and movie aficionado David D. Neuer. Spoiler alert.
2: Hey, friends, Romans, countrymen. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Do You Even Movie? I'm your host, Enrique Cuto, here with my. Friend.
3: Friend, Let's get
2: some good air quotes in there. There we go. David DeNoyer. Greetings. And tonight we have one of the greatest films Hitchcock did not make.
3: This is true. This is very true.
2: (laughs) We are talking about a film I have always felt was underappreciated. Yeah. A little movie called Dead of Winter from nineteen. 87.
3: That is correct.
2: And and how did you come to know this film, David? So,
3: Dead of Winter uh, was a discovery for me when I was at my first apartment, so we're probably talking about 2014, and uh, I had an antenna, so I would get the channels that, uh, some of which you turned me on to. Yeah, because I'm smart. Yes, yeah. yeah. So, I, I think this was on this, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it wasn't on that? <laughs> it wasn't on that, David? <laughs> this was on this, the channel. And um, the o- Opening of this completely grabbed me first off, uh, then seeing uh, Roddy McDowell's name pop up, and then just overall what happens in that first opening, like five minutes, I was like, I'm going to check this out. And then I ended up watching. You're going to check with, this out, or but, was
2: it, you're going to check that out? God
3: damn it. And then I ended up watching the whole thing, commercial breaks and all, from start to finish.
2: Well, uh, You didn't do what most people do and just like hit yourself with a hammer during the commercial <laughs> breaks?
3: <laughs> I won't be remembering pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I made grilled cheese, actually. I mean, it's coming back <laughs> to me now. <laughs> No, no, like I totally made grilled cheese because I could see my TV from my kitchen back then. And um, also it was I think it was during like a little bit of a snowstorm outside. So like it added that element to it.
2: And now I think you're just remembering things the way you want to remember them. <laughs> but OK. Grilled cheese in a snowstorm. OK. That, that's just
3: how I like things. Grilled Is cheese in a at? snowstorm.
2: Two <laughs> bits. No, I mean, it sounds
3: lovely. It was a lazy Sunday. It was just uh, I would I would just put the TV on. A lazy
2: Sunday in the middle of the night.
3: I didn't say the middle of the night.
2: Oh, wait, you didn't say the middle of the night? I thought you said the middle of the night. Okay, nope. that's my projection of what would be yeah, perfect. No, this,
3: is, this was like noon on a Sunday. Or like oh, one. wow.
2: Okay, that's quite a Sunday afternoon. Yeah, it was, matinee it was a matinee for Yeah, me. Okay, yeah okay. okay. Hell yeah,
3: okay. man. Okay, I assumed it was at night for some reason. How did you discover Dead of Winter, Enrique?
2: I don't feel that I have to answer that, and my counsel has instructed me to simply say...
3: I can get a warrant. Ah, hell.
2: <laughs> um, no, Uh. so... I saw this film in my ongoing hunt for the best wintry movies, and that's something that I have been looking into for forever. Forever,
3: ever since I've known you, yeah.
2: Yeah, I'm a big fan of snow movies, which we should probably mention, this is the first of several wintry films we'll be covering here on Do You Even Movie. That is very correct. So, I found this film by literally searching, best movies in snow. Mm. And I found all kinds of stuff that I would already seen. Yeah. Because there's so many movies. So many
3: good ones. Too. That
2: are great and set in the snow. Yeah. Tons of Christmassy movies, things like that. Well, this one came up and I had never even heard of it. Never even heard of it. Uh, really, you're going to drink carbonated beverage on Ooh, the show? I,
3: I didn't learn my lesson last
2: time. Oh, boy. That's I hope fine. the audience here, I hope you like belches <laughs> i hope it's your favorite thing
3: i don't know if i was ever aware of this one um i i think the title like i heard the title but i didn't know anything about it if anything i may have known Roddy mcdowell because there was a period where i went through a lot of his movies
2: well so this was during lockdown yeah i was really hunting because we had an, a particularly cold january yes we did it was very very brutal in 2021 so I was like I want my snow movies because it's snowing like crazy. It's cold outside. I'm ordering DoorDash and just sitting here <laughs> and staring at the snow out the window and then staring at the snow on my movie screen. That was literally how it went down. Yeah. So I I found this one and a few others and unlike a lot of the others at the time, I had to rent this one. Yeah. I had to pay cash money up front. It wasn't one of those Free to stream, even if you're already paying for it, things, which has always been a pet peeve of mine when people say it's free on the <laughs> service I pay for. It's not free. You're paying for it,
3: pal. And for the record, this is easily available right now. Yeah,
2: it's very readily available. A quick search Rooney, and you will find plenty of ways to watch it. But at the time, I could only rent it. Not only could you only rent it, but it was only available on, like, a very, I don't want to say, like, massively obscure yeah streaming option yeah but it wasn't like one of the main ones that one we all ones. go to it yeah. was it was definitely one of the less common ones. i've
3: had that happen a lot in the last couple of years especially like uh some of those like 90 direct to uh, video ones that you and i've hunted down it's like i can either get a physical copy or i can watch it here for free with ads and it's just that's kind of weird to me
2: well this wasn't free with ads. yeah i mean well i don't know why i'm dancing around it was apple yeah i, I just don't oh, that's rent right. it was i just don't rent a lot on apple yeah so so Yeah, it just kind (laughs) of, but I was, I was so curious because the few reviews I found about it were extremely positive. Yeah. They were raving and the Wikipedia was really interesting Mm -hmm. and I tried to, you know, you do the thing where you scroll past the breakdown really fast and and, and try to avoid it. Yeah. So I was like, Hey, the the final sales point was Arthur Penn. Yeah. Arthur Penn, legendary director. And I believe father of Sean Penn and, uh. Uh, Chris Penn. I believe
3: that is correct, actually, yes.
2: So, uh, incredible director. And of course, I know him most of all from.
3: Bonnie and Clyde.
2: Penn. You really
3: don't know? Penn and Teller Get Killed.
2: <laughs> yes, he directed Penn and Teller Get Killed.
3: <laughs> I'm Talk very about aware. another movie hard to find and yeah. watch. Which you still have a VHS of, by the way. I do. Mm-hmm. I found it. Recently. I
2: mean, I. Oh, no, I remember getting that for my birthday yeah. one year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Uh anyway, uh Penn and Teller get killed, which by the way, one of the greatest taglines of all time. It just says Penn and Teller get killed and it's got Penn and Teller on it like this, and then the tagline just says what more do you want? <laughs> Great tagline. But anyway, uh talk about they shouldn't call it Penn and Teller get killed. They should call it um uh like jokes you don't get the movie. Yeah. Cuz that's what it is. It's yeah. like a movie full of jokes that most people don't get. You know, they're just like it's like it's like elbow bump the movie, huh? <laughs> eh? And? Is that the
3: only feature film that they had with their names in it? Yeah. Oh God, yeah, yeah, I thought so. I mean,
2: they did TV specials, yeah. and, and things like that, but yeah. never another movie. I didn't think so. But <clears throat> so with Arthur Penn's pedigree mm-hmm. being as it is, that was the final straw. So I'm sitting up one night. I want to say I had just finished watching Whiteout.
3: Okay, that the, that uh, that would track. Yeah. That's
2: the the movie in Alaska Kate or Beckinsale, not Alaska? The... Kate the... Beckinsale in Antarctica. Yep. I had just finished watching that, and that was on some service I already paid for. Yeah. So then I was like, you know what? I'm dropping my hard-earned money. I'm renting Dead of Night. Winter. And Dead of Winter. Gosh, <laughs> Dead of Night's great, too. Yeah, both Well, versions. there's a lot of Dead of Nights out there. <laughs> Thank you for the correction. Better yeah, no words. I'm watching Dead of Winter, and I put it on. I had a blast with it. Yeah. I remember because about not even six or seven minutes in I paused it and went and made popcorn because I was like oh man like I'm in for a thrill <laughs> like a, a just solid solid thriller and nothing makes me happier yeah. than than just you know a really simple yet complicated thriller yeah and I feel like that is what you get with Dead of Winter.
3: No, I absolutely agree. I think uh, what really works for me with Dead of Winter is I'm such a sucker for single location, like isolation. Oh, I thought
2: that's all you were going to say.
3: I was going to (laughs) agree. Such a sucker. (laughs) Correct. Single location, isolation, um, that shit really gets me we've had this conversation before because like that's one of the things that i because of that time
2: i isolated you and and kept you in one location clearly yes yeah
3: <laughs> no, that's one of the things i love about midnight mass is like it, like a seaside town just like an isolated from everybody but then you add snow into that and then you add it being in a rich estate like oh I so know.
2: so now it's just storm of the century yeah just storm of the
3: century yeah, there we go <laughs> Another good one, though. No,
2: no, but I mean, like, you were like, it's like, it's like Midnight Mass, but it's on an island with snow. So, Storm of the, Storm century. Of the
3: century. Yeah,
2: that's fair. That's <laughs> fair. No, no, but it's, the Storm of the century is great. Oh, fantastic. No, you gotta remember, I'm the guy who, not only do I vacation in Northern Michigan yeah. in the winter, yeah. which everybody else thinks I'm
3: crazy. I don't.
2: Have you been to Northern, well, you have, because you have some family up yeah. there,
3: but... It's snowy. Oh, it's very snowy. But it's again, it's I just I just love being not bothered and being able to watch movies in a snowy cabin. That's kind of nice.
2: I got a snowy cabin, and I had during the day I had to write, and at night I could do whatever I wanted, and there was no internet. (laughs) So I brought stacks of DVDs. Yes, you did, and at least half of them were snow movies, and I actually had never seen Storm of the Century from start to finish. Oh wow! But I had a DVD set of it. So I watched the whole thing, and and we're talking for people who you know like Michigan. We're talking I'm staying here, like tip of the mitten is what they call it. Yeah. So not the Upper Peninsula, and literally they would be like it may snow Thursday, and then you wake up Monday and you're like it's snowing, and then you go about your stuff, and then you wake up Tuesday you're like it's snowing. (laughs) And then you wake up Wednesday, you're like, hey, it's kind of snowing. Yeah. And then you wake up Thursday, you're like, wow, it's snowing. <laughs> like it always snowed. Always it was snowed. so weird yeah. and fun. So I'm mean, I'm going back nope. this January. I can't blame you. Uh, I I I am gonna do a little five-day sabbatical out there. Hell yeah, you are. But <laughs> and I'll be well, the new place I stay at, very bizarre side note. Ooh. It's more rustic. It's a literal log cabin. Ooh. But it has high-speed internet. Mm. I, like, tested it while I was there, and it was half as fast as my home internet. Thank and my home internet's crazy fast. Yes, it is. So yes, I was is. I was doing, like, podcast bonus episodes and watching, like, all of my streaming shows that I was behind <laughs> on the entire time I was there. So I liked the one place because it was isolated, but it was just a house in a rural community. Oh, nice. This place was, like—that's the other great thing about staying in Michigan, northern Michigan, yeah. throughout the the winter months. If you want a vacation there— the whole state's on sale. Damn. I mean, basically, because like where I was staying with my cabin, it was under $50 a night. That's awesome. And only two cabins could be open because the others are too big to heat. Yeah. So I'm in this cabin. The guy's thrilled to see me because he's like, oh, thank goodness. you! Know, thanks for renting it because yeah. nobody wants it. the The town that they're in. The traffic lights were shut off. Oh my
0: gosh,
2: they just weren't on anymore. Yeah, there was one corner store, mm-hmm. and when I went in there, when I went in there, I was like, "Hey, I'm looking for milk." And he went, "Uh, you're gonna have to go somewhere else."
3: Didn't they have like liquor and like canned goods or something? Hell yeah, they yeah, did. Say, and yeah. they had
2: signs that say "Recommended Together." Yeah, no. <laughs> bottle there of vodka, can of beans. Well, there we go. You're set. We call it a Russian holiday. Oh my God. Um, but no, so uh, anyway, I digress on yeah. that. But so, Dead of Winter, numero uno, gives that winter vibe massively. I mean, in spades. Yeah. And the reason I love winter, for the record, is snow is beautiful. Yes. Snow is, you know, fascinating to watch. It mm-hmm. sets a scene, it makes you immediately imagine a time of year. Yep. But. You'll look at snow and be like, "Oh, it's so pretty." But if there's a lot, you go, oh crap. "Oh crap!" Like I can't get out of here.
3: No, I mean let's not forget the time that you literally called me and were like, "Hey, you're getting ready to get a big snowstorm here. I am too. Why don't you come down here, get snowed in with me for the weekend, and we'll just hang out and watch movies all weekend." That was dope. That was a genius. So move. this is this
2: was back when you know you you were living alone. Yeah, this was. You had you you worked you didn't work the weekends really. Yeah. And at least not in the winter. No. And yeah, literally, there was a severe snow warning. Yep. Starting Friday night at 8 p.m. So you drove your butt down to where I (laughs) am. Where the
3: snowstorm was starting.
2: (laughs) At 7. Yes. And we were sliding... We were sliding around the road. Yep. To get a pizza,
3: get a pizza, uh, get some <laughs> snacks, and also then we had to dig out my car. No, we had to dig out Rachel's car the next day. Yes, we did. I remember that now. Yeah. Yes.
2: No, and we but we were all just like hauled up <laughs> in my house. It was so awesome. And I cooked. Yep. And we we must we must have taken in like eight or nine movies. I know. We for, watched a lot of. I know movies. we
3: watched Brave and the one with uh, Jason Momoa, and I think that was the night you showed me Session Nine. Oh, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. I can't believe you'd never seen that.
3: Bought that Blu-ray on a blind buy and freaking love that movie. That, that, was a... that might be a future episode. <laughs> Session nine is fantastic.
2: That was a movie I watched for the first time when I first moved to New Jersey. I watched it on my laptop. I didn't even have a television. Jeez. I rented it at Video Val's, rest in peace, in Butler or in a, uh, where was that? Was that in? I know nobody, nobody cares if it was in <laughs> Pompton Lakes or Butler. But I care. Bloomingdale. It was in Bloomingdale, New Jersey. Rest in peace, video
0: Vals. Do you even movie? We'll be right back.
1: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
2: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today
0: to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
1: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. (gasps)
0: Welcome back to Do You Even Movie?
2: a little more about Dead of Winter, All
3: Alright, so I'm going to change things up this week. Let's go ahead and start with the synopsis on this before we get to who's behind this. So, the Scream Factory... no, David. Too late. Uh... Scream Factory Blu-ray synopsis reads as, when struggling actress Katie is offered the opportunity to replace an actress who has suffered an emotional breakdown during a film shoot, she jumps at the chance for a role of a lifetime. Arriving at the filming location, an isolated mansion in upstate New York, and getting to know her two mysterious benefactors, Dr. Lewis and Mr. Murray, she begins to suspect there's more to the story but she can't quite put her finger on it as she piece it, as the pieces fall into place and the weather outside turns frightful Katie's quest for stardom becomes a fight for survival in this twisty thriller from the director of Bonnie and Clyde
2: I think that's a pretty solid description long but, my synopsis I mean, but it's meant to fill the back of the blu-ray the right back of the blu-ray yeah. so no, I think that's a pretty good one
3: my synopsis an actress ventures to an isolated mansion to land the role of a lifetime but comes to find out the fame may just cost her her life That wasn't that good. Shut up. (laughs) All right. So the director is uh, Arthur Penn, as Enrique mentioned previously. This man is a producer, director. Uh, He started uh, producing and directing in 1952 with the Golf Playhouse. Goodyear Playhouse in 1955. Mickey won in 65. Penn and Teller get killed in 89. He was full on director, of course, for Bonnie and Clyde in 1967. Alice's Restaurant in 1969. Ah, I
2: love that one. I just revisited the song the other day because it was not long ago. It was Thanksgiving and I was really enjoying it.
3: Uh, Little Big Man in 1970, Night Moves, one of Gene Hackman's best uh, thrillers in 1975. Oh,
2: that's that's a really good really flick. Really
3: solid flick. Uh, Target, 1985, The Portrait, 1993, and a film called Inside in 1996. Our writer on this one, we technically have three writers on Dead of Winter, starting with Anthony Gilbert. Wait,
2: technically have three writers?
3: Technically.
2: I suspect something went wrong horribly wrong.
3: Let's find out, shall we? So our first <laughs> writer is Anthony Gilbert, who is actually a pseudonym for Lucy Beatrix Mousen. She was a mystery writer who wrote under that name of uh, Anthony Gilbert, uh, like over 60 detective novels using a guy that was by the name of, I believe, what was his detective name? It was uh, Arthur or Arthur Crook. So, Wait, Arthur, so
2: the, over 50 detective novels? Yeah. So was this based on a novel that they wrote? So that
3: was. So this was originally based on a novel entitled Titled the Woman in Red, and that was made into a movie in 1945 called My Name is Julia Ross. Now, the synopsis for My Name is Julia Ross I do have pulled up here, and the um, idea is based, on, like I said, off the one in red, and this says, during the 1940, 23-year-old Julia Ross is employed without money, living in a cheap boarding house. She's also recovering unemployed. from being... Uh, unemployed, yes. Sorry.
2: <laughs> she, well, I mean, we've all been employed, employed. without it's, money as yeah. well. So She's also uh,
3: recovering from being uh, spurned by her lover. Desperate, she accepts an unpromising job as a secretary to an odd red-clad lady she meets in a gloomy house in Mayfair, attended by sinister servants, and asked as a condition of the job that she has no ties. The long orphan Julia says she has not. In fact, she is not entirely true, as she is befriended sad. by a young man, Colin, who has met in the Lion's Tea Shop. Although he has told her uh, of her fiancé in Ireland. Lynn. Basically, what happens is once she gets into the house, uh, they tell her that like, uh, or she wakes up the next day in a different house, and now she's also married to that guy that she just met the day before.
2: So it's more about that psychological aspect of like the serious gaslighting. Yeah. Okay. Because because I feel like they only touched on that in dead of winter they
3: called dead of winter a loose adaptation of the woman in red aka my name is julia ross and then the the movie of the same of, of my name is julia ross in 1945 it is essentially the same thing where a woman goes to get a job she wakes up the next day in a completely different house and people are like you're this woman now and that the whole psychological thing starts over again so that movie came out in 45 and the dead of winter was adapted loosely in 87
2: Okay. Yeah, I I, that I actually did not know because I did do a little dive into this when I first watched it. Yeah, I know that it had. A very troubled early production
3: Yeah it did Uh, So Anthony Gilbert Going back to uh, Lucy Beatrix Mousen Real quick Also did uh, work for Alfred Hitchcock Presents So Anthony Gilbert is a name But the actual name Attached to it uh, Of Lucy Is not one that people know Our second writer on this Is Mark Malone Who did Signs of Life In 1989 Bulletproof Heart In 94 Hoods in 98 Dead Heat No not that Dead Heat In 2002 uh, Also currently Was uh, writing back in 2015 On The Last Ship And then the last writer We have credited Is Mark Schmo who was the producer of, uh, Dead, of uh, Dead of Winter in 87 as well? He also <laughs> went on to produce Spectacular Now in 2013, was a part of uh, Lucy in 2014, Zero Days, and even The Circle in 2017. Mark Schmugger was originally also the director attached before Penn. But unfortunately, what happened was uh, he was on set for about a day or two, and he was a classmate and friend of Arthur's son, Matthew Penn. He began to direct, but soon after ran into difficulties. Producer of the film, John Bl- uh, Bloomgarden, took over as an interim is the interim product, uh, director, and then Penn reluctantly agreed a couple days later to come back on.
2: Yeah, from what I understood, he basically put he basically put his reputation out there, yeah. to get this job going. Yeah, so. When it was all falling apart, he just had it was like, like <sighs> yeah, put on his pants and showed up. Yeah, that's how that's how I am when I'm forced to direct. <laughs> I, I just put on my pants and I show up and I'm just like, ah, fine.
3: And our last name that I'll bring uh, to the table is the cinematographer Jan Wienke. Um They did additional camera on Six Kids in a Honeymoon in 1967. They went on to do photography stills for Les Miserables in 1998. Full cinematographer career didn't start until 77, though, with a film called Clark. They did A dance a Bourbonville in 1979, Tree of Knowledge in 81, Weeds and Nick Nolte film in 87, Hello Again in 87, Penn and Teller Get Killed.
2: Oh, okay, so it was a, a friend of Penn at yep. that point. Black, no,
3: Arthur Penn. Arthur Penn, yeah. <laughs> uh, Black Harvest in 93, Inside the other Arthur Penn movie in 96, and some film called Shredded in 2000. From what I could tell, uh, they work on uh, largely Danish productions. That was what their resume consisted of. Mm.
2: So only productions with good pastry. With, with good pastry, I thought you were going to say. What?
3: That. It's the truth. So now that we've uh, done our cast, or now we've done our crew, let's go into our cast. We have three big players in this one, starting with Mary Steenbergen. Well,
2: hold on. Okay. It's really kind of five.
3: Yeah, it is kind of five. Yeah, you're not wrong.
2: Because we need to say something real quick, okay? okay? Watch out, guys. It's a hot take. (laughs) Mary Steenburgen plays three. Three. Count them. Three characters. Yes. And my God, is she good.
3: She's fantastic. She
2: is so good. She's literally... Uh, you yeah, know, well, I mean, we all we start the show with a spoiler, but
0: spoiler alert, but
2: she's literally playing three different women that the one thing they have in common is they all happen to look alike yep. somewhat. Yeah. And they make her. It's a combination of styling. Yep. And her unrelenting ability that makes me believe she's three different people. Absolutely. And I just can't oversell Mary Steenburgen. I do not know that this film would work without her yeah. level of ability.
3: Yeah. And that's kind of why I'm curious also to check out My Name is Julia Ross, because I'm curious if they even play on the fact of multiple personality with her taking the role of somebody else. And I I doubt they do, honestly.
2: I, I, I couldn't tell you. So,
3: Steenbergen 117 credits on IMDb, by the way, starting with Going South in 1978, the Jack Nicholson film. One of my personal favorites that I just recently um, discovered, oh God, it's been probably about two, three years ago, Time After Time with Malcolm McDowell and David Warner, where okay, yeah. McDowell plays um, H.G. Wells going after Jack the Ripper.
2: A time machine. Oh my
3: god, dude! It's it's insane. Uh, Ragtime in 1981, Midsummer Night Sex Comedy in 82. I love Midsummer Night Sex Comedy. I know you do. One Magic Christmas in 1985, a feel good movie. I recommend we watch Ugh. as soon as we're done here today. Parenthood in 1989. Back to for, the for those who don't know. Oh god, you're going to talk about it.
2: One Magic Christmas. That's the film to watch if you want to enjoy yourself this holiday season. Jesus, beautiful family, all
3: dead. Disney you should mention Uh, it's also a Disney
2: nobody's Disney are you kidding me uh wow I oh oh I was about to say Disney is about as good at killing parents as and then I realized any joke I could think of (laughs) is too spicy
3: let's move on moving on parenthood (laughs) 1989 Back to the Future Part 3 in 1990, What's Eating Gilbert Grape in 93, Philadelphia in 93, Nixon in 95, I Am Sam 2001, Elf 2003, The Brave One 2007, Step Brothers 2008, The Proposal 2009, The Help 2011, Walk in the Woods 2015, Justified 2015, Orange is the New Black 2015, Book Club... She was
2: on Orange is the New
3: Black. Book Club 2018 and Book Club 2, the next chapter in 2023. uh, Steinberg and I mean, we will get into it as we get into the movie, of course, but yeah, she... She definitely 100% makes this movie. Yeah, no,
2: I, that was the thing I came out with the most when I finished watching it for the yeah. first time was I could not believe her performance. Yeah. It was so good. It was so stunningly good.
3: So she plays Julia Rose, Katie McGovern, and Evelyn in this. Moving down the list, we have Mr. Roddy McDowell, who plays Mr. Murray, 269 credits on IMDb, by by the way. Nice. Yeah. (laughs) Starting with I See Ice in 1938. He also did Dead Man's Shoes in 1940, The Pied Piper in 42, Killer Shark in 1950, appeared on The Ed Sullivan Show in 55, Goodyear Playhouse in 1956, which is probably where he met Arthur Penn.
2: Hmm. Or it could be that he was, like, really famous. That, that too. Well, no, I mean, at this point, he was heading into the twilight of his career after having an immense amount of success from planet of the apes. Yeah. He was the one consistency in all of the original planet of the apes. because yep. They always shelled out the cash
1: for, for Roddy Cornelius. McDowell to
2: return. And then of course, fright night came along yep. and kind of gave him a little resurgence, but he was always into working Yeah, and giving Steenburgen a lot of credit. Roddy McDowell's performance is excellent, but you would, you would expect nothing less yeah. from him. Uh, unlike somebody like Mary Steenburgen, Roddy McDowell being a, a, a character actor of a certain age, I don't think you've ever seen him and not known he was good. Yeah. What I mean by that is, like, Mary Steenburgen. in some of the films she's done, not her fault, her characters, especially when she was younger, were just lighthearted, fun, yeah. goofy roles. So you might not know that she could, like, blow your mind pretending to be three different people. Absolutely. And when I say pretending, I mean as well as acting, because there are points in the film where she's acting like she's pretending yes, to be somebody true. else. Also like, true. She's acting like she's an actress acting like somebody else. Jeez. It's so good. But my point is, Roddy McDowell, he plays this role, which is basically like a henchman. Yeah. Uh, But he's a mentally distraught, sad, depressed miserable henchman who is being controlled by his therapist. Yes. And there are moments when he does terrible things in the movie and he has such empathy. Mm -hmm. Like I feel so bad for him.
3: Yeah, no, but he, he, the way he delivers certain scenes, it's just, you can't help but feel bad for him. But at the same time, when you see the acts that he's doing and the aftermath and everything, it's just like, ah, I don't, I have such mixed feelings about you right
2: now. <laughs> I don't. Know, I, I think he's a good guy. I like him
3: oh, I mean yeah, yeah
2: hey he's dedicated alright <laughs> every time I tell you to drug people you're just like no, it's probably illegal uh, I can't stand you oh god
3: so uh, our other third player in this is uh, Jan Rubes he plays Dr. Joseph Lewis 106 credits for this gentleman starting with Forbidden Journey in 1950 he did Lassie in 72 The Amateur in 81 uh, One Magic Christmas in 1985 yeah
2: you mentioned he plays Santa in yes that. he does Yeah, he yeah. was also
3: in Witness with Harrison Ford in 85 I love Witness uh, Amityville Curse in 1990
2: that was him
3: mm-hmm. uh class action 91 deceive 91 maniac mansion tv show 93 birds 2 lands end in 94 d2 mighty ducks 2 in 94 now we're cooking x files 96 er 97 hour limits 99 snow falling on cedars in 99 as well uh one of his last performances was tilt in 2005 he unfortunately left us in 2009 and i believe roddy left us Oh, God, it was a little earlier how than
2: that. How do you not know when Roddy McDowell passed I away?
3: I don't know. That's uh, 1990. Hurtful. Yeah, 1998.
2: Yeah, no, he he passed. Uh, well, I guess he wasn't super young, but I feel like it was too It was too soon.
3: Yeah, no, he absolutely was. I actually remember his passing because my parents uh, were watching Entertainment Tonight and they'd, they'd come on about it, and I remember uh, recognizing him from Overboard because he plays the butler in Overboard. That's how I knew Roddy McDowell. What do you want? I was six. I'm not going to keep going. Why are you looking at me like that?
2: (laughs) How long do you keep this up? Oh, well, now I'm going to keep doing Ugh, it.
3: I was going to stop. All right. Are you ready to get into this amazing <laughs> film, sir? Uh, sure. All right. <laughs> so Dead of Winter uh, is opens with a beautiful wide shot of a parking lot. Uh, snow is falling down, and it's New Year's Eve. We're in an empty lot, and we see a woman leave her car. She goes inside. Is it a train station or a bus depot? It looked to me like a bus station. Like a bus station, yeah. So she goes inside the bus station. There's a couple kids and a mother in there that have New Year's garb on, and she goes to get a locker, opens it up, Pulls a key out of that locker and then goes to another locker and retrieves a satchel full of cash.
2: Very, very cloak and dagger. Yeah. Unlock a box. Take a key out of the box, unlock a different box, pull some cash, and and it's a mess of cash.
3: Yeah, it is a mess of cash. So she goes back to her car. She gets out, she gets in and starts driving. And uh, she gets stopped by a cop. They're doing like a checkpoint, just making sure everything's okay. Checks her out, waves her through, and that's when we notice. It, you mean
2: they're just violating everybody's, everybody's constitutional, constitutional rights tip. for the <laughs> fuck of it? That's
3: exactly right. <laughs> Pardon me. Uh, so she drives through, and we notice that there may or may not be a car following her as well. Yeah, and it's played
2: with. Like, super, super tight tension. Yeah. This whole movie is is an exercise in tension. Oh, no, it
3: absolutely is. So she keeps driving a bit, goes into another parking lot, gets out and goes to a pay phone. She calls somebody and states that she's going to wait a few more minutes, and then she's gone. She gets back into her car, lights a cigarette, and then all of a sudden, some guy pops up from the back, begins to strangle her, kills her, and then what does he do next, Henrik? He removes her. Her ring finger off her left hand. Yes, he cuts that. Oof! Uh, that I, was the opening scene. That like, yeah. I, like I immediately I was like, all right, put <clears throat> it in the remote down. We'll see what this is for a little bit.
2: No, it's it's a it's a very startling, gruesome, and very Hitchcock esque yeah. moment. And that's the big thing in this movie is it, it does feel a lot like it wants to be a Hitchcock thriller. No, it
3: absolutely does. Um,
2: and I think in a lot of ways it succeeds. I I think in a lot of ways I like it more than a Hitchcock thriller because it was a little bit more modern. It didn't feel old fashioned. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it feels like it's maybe a product of the 80s but it doesn't feel old fashioned.
3: Not dated at all.
2: (laughs) Actually, (laughs) I mean, aside from a few scenes with phones. Yeah, technology. Once they're like in the mansion in the snow, it's like, oh, just uh, eccentric old people live here. I
0: guess that's why they don't have any computers. Do You Even Movie will be right back.
1: Play for free at Luckylandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Welcome back to Do You Even Movie.
3: So now we meet uh, Katie, who is played by Steenbergen, and her boyfriend, uh, Rob, who is played by William Russ. They're in their tiny little apartment that's a bit cramped with Ling. Uh, they see, you know, they've got ac- uh, posters on the wall, and she's trying to find her headshot and panicking. And she's got an, an audition the next 45 minutes. Snow's coming outside, and her brother look- is staying with them as well.
2: Yeah, and her brother, I mean, he's she calls him uh, her baby brother, but he's like in his like mid 20s. Yeah,
3: his name's uh, Roland in the film. It's played by Mark Malone. And uh, so she is yelling at Rob because she needs her headshot. And Rob, uh, mind you, is also in a cast. And he has yeah, his leg he has casted. A, he has a
2: broken leg.
3: He's down on his luck and he's uh, he's trying to drink coffee and he's complaining about the coffee and telling her he forgot to print the headshot. She's panicking because she has to get this audition. So she goes to the audition and that's where we meet Mr. Murray, who is played by Roddy McDowell. And she walks in. He's sitting at the table and he's like, you know, yeah, welcome. And then he looks up and immediately pauses. And is like, okay, um, you, say something. Like, say some lines.
2: Yeah, he has her talk. He has her lift her hair up. Because remember, kids, Mary Steenburgen just got murdered at the beginning of the movie. But now this character is yeah. also Mary Steenburgen. Hair, their hairstyles are massively different. And I'm not saying I know how they did it, mm-hmm. because I don't. Yeah. But they did a lot to adjust the shaping of her eyes. Yeah. And usually the way that's accomplished is by placing tape behind the scalp and the hair so you can pull skin in different spots. And I just noticed that Steenburgen, uh, the actress character yeah. that she plays, didn't have those like big, luscious eyes yeah. that the character at the beginning did. Absolutely. And when they later on when they start to style her to look more like the dead woman yeah that's one of the things that happens is her eyes get a lot more pronounced and kind of large she's actually as the actress character she's actually kind of plain yeah she's kind of i mean she has like super big like over permed hair that's like super like big and and uh hefty and all that but otherwise she's just kind of plain jane she's not really that uh you know, not really that exciting to no. look at, you know? Well, we should
3: also mention, too, that with the opening of uh, Julie's murder, that um, they they kind of hide Steenberg in a little bit. Like, they, they shoot her from the back, and you only catch glimpses of her in the rear view. The
2: oh, mirror. they show her pretty straight on, dude. Do they? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, they, they show her straight on.
3: Okay, I thought they mainly shoot her from the
2: back. No, she's just wearing a hat and stuff. Gotcha. <laughs> I mean, and and, and it, everything's in shadows and stuff, because it's yeah. all cloak and dagger. It's all yeah. super Hitchcock-y.
3: So uh, Mr. Murray tells her that she's got the job. We next see that they're at lunch, and he tells her that the production is needing a new lead because uh, she had it out with the director and she left. And he tells her that they needed to go up, they take her to upstate New York. They're going to shoot a video, a uh, little scene with her, send it off to the director, and for her doing that, she's going to get three thousand. If she gets the job, another nine thousand added on top of that. Yeah,
2: basically he tells her that the production is that they're trying to film as much as they can without their lead actress. Yeah, but that any day now they're going to run out of things. To shoot, and once the production shuts down, they lose an immense amount of money. Yeah, so they need to take her tomorrow to upstate New York to a uh, to a producer's mansion. Yep, videotape an audition, send it to the director, and then hopefully immediately the director will say yes and then she'll be sent straight up there. So the idea is that this is all going to move incredibly fast because it has to and he even provides newspaper clippings about an indie production in trouble and, and an actress fleeing a set. So it all looks very legitimate and McDowell comes off so confident like he's legit
3: yeah Yeah, he absolutely does and i think also too what what sells it is that they they state that like we want to keep the footage that we've shot with her we just need to have somebody match that footage to go along with it so we'll shoot the new footage of you that we can match with the footage of julie and i'm like well yeah i would believe that too
2: i mean it's a stretch hoping you would cast a woman that looks exactly like (laughs) her but Hey, if you're desperate, you're desperate.
3: <laughs> so she returns to her apartment, she tells Rob who is annoying her just snapping pictures on his camera the whole time and he's like, "You know, if you, if you want to go, just just go ahead and go." So uh, Julie or uh, Katie, who's frustrated, le- uh, leaves, and Rob goes to the window with his camera. He takes a couple pictures of Roddy McDowell's car as well as Mr. Murray, watches her drive off, and then Mr. Murray picks her up. They begin to drive upstate. They're driving on the freeway for a couple hours. They stop at a gas station. He hands the guy some money, and he's like, all right, I'll be right back. He comes back and hands the guy a bag that has two goldfish in it because if you spend $10, you get free goldfish.
2: And you know what? In upstate New York, that's not even the weirdest thing that could happen to you in the winter.
3: Yeah, I bet not. Actually, I I would homeless guarantee that goldfish in the winter. (laughs) (laughs) So they arrive then at the mansion, and this mansion is incredible. We meet Doctor Joseph Lewis, and the mansion's decked out with art sculptures. It's got an auto piano that plays itself, which is pretty awesome.
2: Player piano,
3: player piano that is attached to something that we'll get to later.
2: And most importantly, yes, animal skins, animal
3: skins, because this
2: doctor has traveled the world, and he has. Two polar bears. Two polar bears. And I think that that's important. Yeah. Because polar bears are very dangerous mm-hmm. uh, to humans, and they require an immense amount of skill, yeah. patience, yada, yada, and I think that's foreshadowing.
3: Yeah, and also his uh, his admiring of chess, too. Because chess oh, is yeah, that's a total foreshadow. Movie. So... Uh, she goes to ask if they uh, she can use the phone. She goes to the phone, tells them there's no dial tone. And he's like, really? And he's like, oh, well, it must have been the storm. That's knocked out the lines. If it's still out tomorrow, I'll have Mr. Murray drive you into town and you can call wherever you need. So everything's on the up and up. Oh, uh, he also
2: references the watch out for mice. You might step on, oh, yeah. my, on mice, stuff, yeah. but there are traps all over, which again Foreshadowing. Yes. There's there's so much foreshadowing in this film.
3: <laughs> so the next scene we see uh, uh, Dr. Lewis is sitting down with Katie. He's showing her pictures of Julia Rose and comments that she could be her sister and tells her how Julia, uh, Julia had a nervous breakdown. She'll never be the same again and that he's going to give her these lines. They're going to film the scene tomorrow. And then if everything goes well, they'll drop the tape off and they can hopefully shoot with the director the moment that he's back or comes to the mansion, basically.
2: And, and, and one thing that's important to point out is the doctor and Roddy McDowell's character are at this juncture extremely confident yes. she will get the role yes which is highly encouraging to her they're both like they're both like no this is great like we're going to shoot the video and do everything we can to convince the director you're the replacement yeah but we think you can be we're amazed how uncannily you look like her um and in a and very very soon Almost immediately. They're yeah. going to cut her hair. Yes. They're going to do her makeup, which is the other part that makes me kind of sad for Roddy McDowell's character is he has to like learn how to cut women's hair and do <laughs> makeup and stuff. Why? Because he's completely subservient yeah, he to this is. to this doctor. Uh, who, by the way, it is so clear the moment he introduces himself as like a former psychiatrist, yeah, that McDowell's one of his patients. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, come on.
3: Well, and let's also not forget uh, that he's in—he's bound to a wheelchair, basically. Yes, yes, he's in a wheelchair,
2: yeah. and he kind of references that he, he makes jokes about it a lot, like that he likes being pushed around, yeah. and, and uh, he likes uh, machines. They, they take some getting used to.
3: Yes, they take some getting yeah. <laughs> used to. So Mr. Murray gives Katie the scenes, and she finds out that they're shooting a scene for a thriller, and they're going to start shooting this tomorrow for her audition tape. So he uh, she gets ready for bed, and she puts her headshot of Julie on the mirror, and she's practicing the look in the mirror. There's a knock at the door, and Mr. Murray brings her a glass glass of warm milk and uh, tells her that Dr. Lewis really likes her. He doesn't like everyone, but he likes her. And uh, Katie replies back that she likes him and also thinks that uh, Dr. Lewis likes do- uh, Mr. Murray as well. And Mr. Murray kind of lights up.
2: Oh, my God. That's this. one of those moments that really makes Roddy McDowell phenomenal in this yeah. role is he He literally like lights up like, you
3: you, you think, think so? so?
2: It's like, dude, you live in a house with him. Yeah. But he so badly wants this guy to like him because he's deeply damaged. I mean, like, I don't know how else to put it. And then in the
3: next, literally the next scene is we see that Dr. Lewis is downstairs, like, giving him some crap about a knife that's too dull, and so he has him sharpen it, he watches him sharpen it in the thing, and then he's slicing onions with it, commenting on how uh, a, what is it, he says a dull blade uh, doesn't get anything done or something along those lines.
2: Yeah, something along those lines. Yeah.
3: So then the next morning, we see Katie and uh, Mr. Murray are in the car. The car won't start. The storm's still coming down. The lines are still down. So then they decide that they're going to go ahead and go with the audition Murray prepares Katie. He cuts her hair. He starts styling her and she's going over the lines and Katie asks him, how did he and Dr. Lewis meet? Murray tells her professionally because he was a patient. <laughs> Big shocker. And that's when she says a patient of what? And uh, that's when he tells her that Dr. Lewis is a psychologist. Just shocking. This can only go well at this point, right? Shocker. So next they film her audition um, at first she has a little bit of a stillness and then they go a second time and then both of them with her watch the playback and are very impressed they do a little applauding after she does it it's super cute and we next see that uh, Murray is in the car he's driving away from the estate everything seems to be fine and he goes to another estate and drops the tape into a mailbox into the door.
2: In a house that does not appear to be very far away. Either.
3: No, not very far away at all. And we see a woman in the second floor smoking a cigarette. We then go inside the house as she picks up the tape and she
2: ashes on her own floor. Did you see that? Well, when you're wi- when you're rich, I mean, you do what you want. So
3: she literally ashes on her own floor and uh, she picks up the tape. And that's when she sees the audition. And we find out that the audition is completely her reciting lines of what happened to her in this in this thriller but she's describing what happened to the woman in the opening scene.
2: Yes, what we find out is that it is very clear that this audition is a tape that proves to this woman yeah. that her sister was not successfully murdered. Yes. She's still alive. She has information that she desperately wants. And it, that this is a big fu. Yeah,
3: well, and that's sealed. But the deal, because Lewis then comes on screen and tells her, "Hello, Evelyn. She's still alive, as you can see." And the game continues. We'll contact you at a later date. And then the tape goes to fuzzy. Goes to fuzzy. Goes to goes to white noise. My it apologies. Goes to fuzzy. Goes to fuzzy. Static. Static. Your face. Ouch. So then we, uh, the next morning, we see Katie downstairs. She's calling to Dr. Lewis. She finds the estate empty, but outside we see uh, Mr. Murray is uh, doing uh, snow blowing, and Lewis is watching him. Katie begins going through Dr. Lewis's office, and that's when she knocks down a folder and discovers pictures of a dead Julie. She finds Polaroids. Yeah, Polaroids.
2: Of a dead body, and something I really like that they did with the dead body in mm-hmm. this, they used a dummy. Oh, yeah. And I know what you're thinking, like, well, doesn't that look phony? Yeah, but it's a it's a dummy that they've made to look just like just like her. N- just like her. Yeah. It, it looks creepy.
3: Yeah, no, it absolutely cuz it's does.
2: literally lifeless. Yeah. It looks like somebody just like recklessly preserved this woman. Yeah. And I find every time we look at that corpse
3: very creepy. No, it absolutely is, and we don't have any shortcomings uh, of seeing that corpse multiple times through this movie. Shortcomings? <laughs> I don't know what you want. <laughs> English. Ugh. So, uh, she finds the Polaroid. She can goes to confront Doctor Lewis, and she's like, "You know, why did you lie to me? What? What is this?" And uh, that's when Lewis tells her that it was a tragedy that unfortunately uh, Julie had a breakdown and committed suicide at this point. So, so now
2: the plot is thickening more thickening. and more. And every time she digs a little bit about this actor she's replacing, it gets more and more insane. Yeah, absolutely. because at first it's, Oh, she got mad at the director. Then it's, Oh, she's had a nervous breakdown and will never be able to act again because she's like gone so far off her rocker. Yeah. And now it's like, and she killed herself. Yep. Uh, Boy,
3: howdy, (laughs) do things escalate quickly, very quickly. The, The pacing of this film is really what works. One of the many things that works for it. Absolutely. So she questions, you know, is there anything else they've been holding back? And Lewis tells her that it was a tragedy, but they have no further secrets Back at the apartment, we now see that Rob tries to call out because uh, naturally uh, Katie hasn't called him in several days now. He sees the phone lines are disconnected, so he calls the operator and he's like, I've got this number. Can you dial it for me? She's like, What's the number? And he starts with 311, and that's when the operator tells him there is no 311 area code.
2: Ah, the old fake area code.
3: So immediately he's <laughs> distraught by this. Later that night, we see Mr. Murray and Dr. Lewis playing chess, but uh, Lewis, Dr. Lewis is doing so without looking at the board, and she even questions yeah, He's how doing can calisthenics. Do it. Yeah, she he's, even questions. Yeah.
2: He's on the other side of the room doing calisthenics, doing weightlifting and stuff, yeah. and she asks him about, like, why don't you need to look at it? And he's just like, I don't have to because I know the board. Yeah,
3: I know the board. I have yeah. good memory. Hoity toy. So then the player piano starts on, Katie questions how it is, and Lewis tells her that it's a device that's connected to his heart, and is it when his heart rate gets high?
2: When his heart rate is elevated, Elevated, the piano plays to relax him.
3: To relax him, so that will trigger it. Katie then sees a pop from the fireplace, and she goes over with a poker and starts nosing around and sees that her ID is roasting, melting away on top of one of the logs.
2: Yep, her New York State driver's license. Adios, muchachos.
3: So she tries to retrieve it from the fireplace. She can't. So then she just kind of plays it off and returns to her room. She empties her purse onto her bed and finds now that all her IDs are missing along with her credit cards. They have erased her.
2: Anything with a name on it is not in her wallet anymore. Yeah.
3: So she starts freaking out. She returns downstairs and uh, goes to the phone again, notices there's still no dial tone. So then she starts pulling at the cord. And she's pulling at the cord in the corner, and Doctor Lewis is kind of noticing that something's up at this point. So he motions Mister Murray over, and that's when she pulls the cord up and sees that it's been cut. So there is it's there's no dial tone because the phone has literally been made use loose useless at this point.
2: Yes, uh, that is what happens when the cord is cut in the old days. In the old days, in the olden days, back when you know uh, cords were a part of phones. Yeah. And, uh,
0: I I don't have I don't have <laughs> another
2: joke. I thought I'd come up with something, but I'm just a little tired today. <laughs>
0: Do You Even Movie will be right back. Welcome back to Do You Even Movie.
3: So Mr. Murray is called over by Dr. Lewis, and he goes over, and she tells him that she's going to have a nap before dinner, and he's like, you know, I think you should. You look a little pale. So later, we see her sneak back downstairs again as Mr. Murray cooks for Lewis. He's uh, having him sample some sauce he's making. Katie then decides to go right through the front door without her coat, and she starts making a trek in the snowstorm up this giant hill, and she's pulling on branches because she can't get her footing, and she keeps climbing, and suddenly she reaches the top And then Mr. Murray steps up and he's like, Dr. Lewis has been looking for you. And he looks and he looks the absolute creepiest in the shot, like I told you. Well, he's
2: just in a button up jacket with a very simple furry hat on top of his head to stay warm. And he looks so sincere. When he's just like, Dr. Lewis has been looking for you.
3: Dr. Lewis is looking for you. So back inside, Katie now questions their intentions, like uh, brings up that her IDs and her credit cards are missing. And Lewis is like, oh, we haven't done anything like that. You know, you're just imagining that. Maybe you just
2: left them at home. Maybe you 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 left 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 in a hurry.
3: Yeah. And he uh, also adds about the cut phone cord. And he's like, there's no such phone in the kitchen. Like that cord's not cut. So Lewis still denies, stating that uh, he's pushed her too hard. Murray offers her something warm to drink. And that's when she starts to get her head hurting a little bit. And also we see that... Roddy McDowell is just kind of zoomed in on her in this shot.
2: Yeah. So she's clearly been drugged. And I also want to point out this is the beginning of some very intense gaslighting. Yeah. But it's almost stupid gaslighting. Yeah. Because they're just like, they just like mutilate her and they go like, well, you well, did you have a finger when you went to sleep? Yeah. It's like, it's very, very strange.
3: So Katie begins to realize she's been drugged. She gets up and is questioning what's going on from her. What do they want from her? She has no money or anything. And Louis still denies that uh, there's nothing wrong and that, you know, everything's okay. But with her actions, she's been disqualified from the job, telling her that they'll take her home in the morning. And she's like, home? And he's like, well, you want to go home, don't you? So then she goes up to her room and she just crashes on the bed, but not before barricading. The door. So even uh, Doctor Lewis comments, he's like, "Well, if you don't want to be bothered, I uh, you should use the bolt on your door." So she bolts her door, pushes a case in front of it, and then just ends up crashing on the bed because
2: yeah, Me- she's drugged.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so meanwhile downstairs, uh, Lewis tells Murray not to worry; he's going to do a perfect job. And Mister Murray is like, "Well, uh, what do you mean?" And he's like, "Well, you know, you have to. You have to do a perfect job." What is he talking about exactly? We then see Mr. Murray get up carrying a medical tray, and he goes into her room, except he doesn't come in the normal way. We see him standing behind a mirror, smoking, as the mirror opens up in her bedroom, and he walks through a secret passageway into the room.
2: Yeah, the uh, stand-up mirror in there is actually a two-way mirror. Yeah. and Or a one-way mirror. Yeah, one-way. That's what is. I always get those confused.
0: Yeah.
3: It's
2: a one-way mirror and a door. Yeah. So he walks in,
0: smoking a cigarette, mind smoking
2: you. a cigarette. Well, you know, it's the 80s. Yeah. I mean, everybody had, by law, you had to have <laughs> a lit cigarette in your hand. And he goes in there and just ever so gently and carefully. Cuts off her finger.
3: (laughs) So the next morning, we see Katie is still sleeping, but now the bed has drips of blood on it. She finds herself in a nightgown that she wasn't dressed in when she went to bed, and she pulls out her bandaged hand from the pillow, unwraps it, and finds that her ring finger on her left hand has absolutely been removed yes it is gone and it's a shocking moment very shocking moment so she screams out alerting them that she's woke up uh she finds the barricade undisturbed and that's when she finds some a cigarette ash from roddy mcdowell's cigarette on the floor and that's when she opens the mirror steps inside the attic and makes her way up and she goes into finding a phone right in the corner well, and this is a big moment
2: though yes. because she put two and two together yeah of like Somebody she's not believing the gaslighting so she's like somebody got in here. Yeah. How could they get in here because the door was barricaded. Yeah. And then she sees the cigarette ash and is like it's got to be Something this mirror. Here. She futzes with it, it opens up. So now she's up in the attic. Yeah. And I want to mention and they reference this a little bit later but the attic is not heated.
0: No. It's it's,
2: not. Ab- it's above the um where the house is insulated. Yeah. So it is very cold. You can see breath while they're up there. Yep. And yes, yeah, she finds an old black rotary phone. That just still has right a dial tone.
3: There. Yep. So she immediately calls Rob. Rob asks where she is, but Katie can't remember the address. She doesn't know exactly what the address is. She doesn't know anything except landmarks. So she says that they went upstate on the freeway for about two hours. There was a covered bridge and a goldfish at a gas station, basically.
2: And she's also still coming down from the
3: drugs yeah. and she's in, Absolute shock, absolute panic as well. So Rob tells her to hang on, uh, hang up, call the police. And uh, meanwhile, Murray downstairs has found that uh, her room is empty, and he also sees that the door is open for the mirror. So he makes his way into the attic. Rob hangs up on her, telling her to call the police, which she does. After she tells them that she's in danger, she's in that she uh, they need to hurry, and she tries to get the best address to them that she can. Uh, she pulls back then a sheet that she is by this little sofa and finds Julie's body has been hidden away in the attic. Murray finds her yanking the phone cord out of the wall and he just looks pissed at her.
2: Yes, and again, this is that corpse that is a dummy that makes it creepier yeah. from the Polaroid pictures is now up there and there's a little mouse yes. sitting, sitting on, on its her face. face.
3: Yeah, So back at the apartment Rob has his cast removed by Roland um, and we see that he... And That's a them, nice
2: way to put it. They like break the cast break off the of cast. him because yeah.
3: they're leaving. They're, they're leaving. They're going to find her. They're going to find her. So back at the mansion Dr. Lewis tends to Katie's uh, uh, bandage again. He uh, redresses it and he tells Katie that Julie was a former patient of his who got involved in a family feud uh, with her sister. So as a radical therapy, he suggested blackmail, which went completely as planned until Evelyn did something they didn't expect, hired an assassin to kill her sister and cut off her finger.
2: Which, to me, that's just, you're not good at playing the game, bro. <laughs> Clearly not. No, it is very clear that this woman will do anything to win. Yeah. That she is playing for keeps names.
3: So Mr. Murray was able to intercept her corpse before the authorities did and once they got it they noticed the finger removal which is why they brought Katie here. Katie questions if they're going to kill her and Dr. Lewis tells her not at all, but Evelyn might
2: <laughs> and you know uh, they're not wrong God. holy moly
3: so uh, as she will pay a great deal for a second chance to kill her they try to sedate her but Katie hears a door buzz as she rushes to the door intercepting the cops that she called but Dr. Lewis is quick to tell them that she's a patient named Julie she's having an episode and he tried to calm her down but tells them that she went mad last night and chopped off her own finger while all this is happening Bergen is trying to, to you know give every defense that she can that she is being captive and being tortured by these guys and
2: at this point there is no evidence of her identity no uh everything they're saying is the only thing that there's evidence for yeah they have the id of the dead woman yep they have photographs of the dead woman
3: and her committal papers too
2: and yeah and her committal papers they have all which but i mean for the record how easy would it be to fake committal papers if you're the doctor yeah but these cops are also stupid uh you know actually they're not they're kind of dumb they're kind of dumb i would call them like on a scale of one to ten how stupid because movie cops Can go from, like, obscenely dumb. How far dumb? From a scale of 1 to 10 being, like, drooling on themselves. Like Halloween 5 dumb? Those are goofy. That's different. Mm. It's not like in Halloween Five, which you always love to crap on. Yeah. It's not like in Halloween Five, the cops are like, like standing there looking that way while Michael Myers is stabbing someone to death. Yeah, they're just silly. They're just silly. No, but that's I mean, why we're like, bad cops. But there are movies where cops are so stupid. Yeah. Um. And whether it's that they don't believe something when there's obvious evidence, or they just do the thing where the the thing where it's like, oh, this guy just wants attention. Like the dumbest cops ever are like the cops in uh, Friday the 13th part 6. Oh, they're inside. No, inside's even dumber. Yeah. But but Friday the 13th part 6, it's like yeah. everybody's just like, "Wait, Jason Voorhees is dead. Wait, now people are dying. Well, it must be the guy who says Jason yeah. Voorhees is back killing people to get us to believe Tommy him."
3: Tommy Jarvis clearly made That's these corpses.
2: The dumbest. I'm sorry. He's killing people so we'll believe him? Dumbest argument I've ever heard. It is a dumb argument. I anyway. would give
3: I would give these cops It's either a six or a seven, because I don't think they're that bad because we'll get to the ending where they redeem themselves. But, yeah, they're they're. I mean, mm, everything is there if they looked hard enough.
2: Well, yeah, but they're also getting a lot of information that makes sense. Yeah. She's just cut off her finger. She's uh, so there's a fresh wound. Yeah. She's got committal papers. She is acting hysteric. Yeah. She's acting like a loon. Because she's been drugged again and again and again, and because, you know, think about it, you know, what makes somebody sound crazier than anything when they're telling you a bunch of stuff that doesn't make sense? Yeah. And she, it doesn't make sense unless you were there the whole time. That's true. And on top of that, you're at a doctor's house. Yeah. He's clearly rich, which makes you think that he's telling the truth because- You know, how could a crazy guy have all this nice stuff? (laughs) You know, no, but I mean, so all that stuff is pushing on the cops. But even so, I mean, they check the house. Yeah. Well, they check the attic, check the which attic. is where she says the body is.
3: Yeah, because she's she's screaming with them, like, "Please check the attic!" And even uh, Doctor Lewis is like, "Oh, they don't need to go in the attic." And then one cop is actually like, "Well, you know, maybe actually, we, we could... do need to
2: see." I think they that, that's a are five. That's a
3: bit redeeming. Yeah, yeah I
2: think there are five because they five. do go where she asks them to. But the moment they go up there and don't find anything, that's yeah. when they're like. All right, screaming lady, we're just going to take off now. Best of luck.
3: Well, because Roddy McDowell uh, escorts the cop. So Mr. Murray escorts him to the attic. And that's when he's like, well, it's not heated up here. So they're looking around. They're pulling furniture aside. And clearly the body's been moved. So the cop goes back downstairs. He's like, we didn't find anything. So then Lewis is like, why don't you take her back up to her room? So Mr. Murray takes her back up to her room. He's talking to the cops for a little bit. And that's when he lays her on the bed. She rolls over. And Mr. Murray has put the corpse of Julie in Katie's bed. and then. Her reaction, which
2: obviously is to scream and scream and scream because there's a corpse in her bed, yeah. just makes her look even more insane to the cops yeah. because the cops are sitting there after she's been taken back to her bed. Yep. And they just hear going, ah, ah, ah. So they just kind of look at each other like, all right, let's uh let's leave here and go get some coffee.
3: Well, and also, uh, McDowell in the attic pull uh points at the cord that was linked out of the phone. He's like, "Yeah, she did that when she had her episode last night." So, uh, so everything, so, yeah. yeah, everything that they're stacking up, it, it unfortunately does lead to believe that she's looking chess. crazy. Chess. chess, yeah. Which,
2: by the way, don't you play chess? No. Makes sense. Yeah, no, I don't play. Chess. I don't either.
3: I've played so. chess twice
2: in my life. I, <laughs> I've never played it once because it requires a
0: friend.
3: That's very true.
0: Do You Even Movie will be right back. Welcome back to Do You Even Movie.
3: So the cops uh, decide they're like, this isn't anything. So back in her room, Katie lays on the bed, comes face to face with the body of Julie. She screams and the cops are like, okay, we're out of here. So then we see Rob and uh, Roland are driving upstate and they're trying to figure out the location, which good on Roland because he pinpoints the covered bridge because he has found out that there's five covered bridges in the area. Two are way too far away. One's the other side, but there is one that is exactly, I think, like they said, 20 miles away from where they are.
2: Yeah, basically, there's one right by the city and two way out. Yep. So this one is the most likely one because it's the nearest, so it's the first one they should try.
3: So we see them drive uh, past the bridge. They're still trying to figure out the location. And uh, back at the mansion, Evelyn has now arrived.
2: And boy, has she!
3: Boy, this oh is boy. number
2: three, Mary Steenburgen. Yes. and up until this point, she's mostly been obscured. Yeah. So now we fully see she is full blown. Also performed. Yeah. By Mary Steenburgen, and she is cold, cold, very cold, and confident. Yeah. And just everything Steenburgen's other two characters were not.
3: No, she's got looks that kill when she's Evelyn. Like, Evelyn is somebody that freaking scares me.
2: David, you're scared of all kinds of things. Would you stop? I'll put a list at the end of the show.
3: That's fair. <laughs> In the show notes. Yeah, yeah. So my people my can... fears, my work hours.
2: Yeah, so people can know what they <laughs> so want to do.
3: Evelyn arrives. She's looking over Katie with Lewis, uh, Dr. Lewis and Mr. Murray. And, of course, she's heavily sedated at this point, which is kind of a cool shot because they have all three of them looking down at her. And they're talking slow like this and drawn out because the, the sedation is kind of wearing off on her so then that's when uh dr lewis tells her to go take a uh, mr Mur- uh, tells mr murray to take uh katie to her room evelyn then sits down with dr lewis and they're talking and he's like you know i've heard so much about you and she's like i'm sure you have And he offers her sherry brandy and she doesn't want anything he's like well i'm gonna get myself something while his back is turned she goes into her bag and we see that she has an ice pick that she's removed from her bag now
2: i love that she's specifically brought an ice pick yeah i, I-, I just that's such a Like, why not, I guess, but it was just a really interesting choice. Yeah, she's got this ice pick, and she is ready to check that mate.
3: Yeah, she is. So Lewis is asking her, where is it? And Evelyn tells uh, him that it's hidden. She tells him that she does have something for him, though, and tosses him the locker key from the beginning. So clearly the money is what they're after in this point.
2: Yes. Well, and, and there's blackmail going blackmail on. Blackmail going obviously.
3: on. Yeah. So she requests a sherry after all, and she pulls the ice pick from her bag. She starts walking up to Dr. Lewis, but she's interrupted as Mr. Murray returns. And uh, that's when we cut to Bob and Roland, who are at the gas station. And all of a sudden, the attendant takes their uh, $10 from them. Them. He goes back and comes back with a goldfish, and that's when they realize they're, they're in they're, the town.
2: They're in the right town. And I also don't forget that she hides that ice pick. Hides so the ice pick so really quick. it's yeah. still unknown to the yeah. two gentlemen that she has the, every intent of killing, killing them.
3: Killing them, yeah. So we next see that uh, Roland and Russ are at the police station, and that's when we see that Kate is upstairs and she's trying to figure out how she can escape when she realizes that she just needs to talk to Evelyn. So what she does is she starts messing with the window. She takes a blanket and throws it out. The opening of the window alerts Mr. Murray. He runs upstairs, sees the blanket uh, blow through the wind, and he's like, oh my God, she got out. So now Dr. Lewis and Mr. Murray race out, and that is when Evelyn is downstairs just watching them fumble about, and we see Mr. Murray going after the blanket. By this point now, Katie comes out from behind the mirror where she was hiding. She goes downstairs And Evelyn watches the two outside. Katie sneaks down the steps. Evelyn, still thinking that she's Julie, calls to her... And that's when uh, she tries to argue that she's not Julie. And Evelyn right. is not hearing it. at this No, point.
2: Evelyn is like, this is just some stupid mind game, ironically.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and that's literally when she goes that the plots twi- uh, plots turn. She takes Julie's or, uh, Katie's hand and sees that the finger's been removed just like she had it done. And that's when she's like, why should I trust you? And Evelyn isn't buying it. She grabs her hand with a missing finger, lunges at her with the ice pick. And that's when we have the two struggle to the ground. And then we see them fall. We see somebody's hand come up and hit a piano key. And then we cut back to the station where uh, Rob and uh, Roland are trying to tell the cops what's going on. And they're like, "Well, you know, we just went to a mansion this morning. It kind of sounds like what you're talking about." They're showing the pictures from when he uh, picked her up originally that he took of Roddy McDowell's character, and they're like, "Well, that kind of looks like her, but it's it's not her. There's no way."
2: Well, and and but that's the big moment that makes them really consider it though yeah. is that they have evidence of what she looks what like. she looks like. But it's like, yeah, it doesn't quite look like her. But at the same time, you do have a missing person, guys.
3: So by this point, Dr. Lewis and Mr. Murray return home. They find Evelyn waiting on the stairs, and Evelyn states she can't trust them to get the job done, so she's going to go look upstairs for herself. Mr. Murray uh, chases after her, trying to stop her, and he says that they'll handle the search together, that he can handle her. He continuously searches the house, as does Lewis downstairs, who grabs a fire poker. So now everybody's trying to find out where Katie went. Back upstairs, Mr. Murray continues searching with Evelyn until he realizes that she has the same... (laughs) Injury on her hand.
2: Yep. It and is a ruse. An actor.
3: An actor. Thank you. <laughs> so Katie is uh, as revealed. Katie stabs Murray in the neck with the ice pick, which uh, kills oh. him instantly on and, the bed. And
2: it's brutal. He puts his, puts hand, his hand up hand to down. stop it. So it stabs ah. through his hand and <laughs> pins his hand to his throat.
3: Through his throat. It's yes. very
2: brutal and so sad, though. The, his expression as he dies, the sadness in his eyes, yeah. holds. And it's very sad. Yeah. Very, very sad. Such a tragic uh, villain.
3: It absolutely is. Katie still posing as Evelyn, then begins to cry. She returns downstairs, calling to Dr. Lewis um, and telling him that obviously Katie's not in the house anymore and she's going to leave. But suddenly the piano starts up and it catches her off guard. And you can kind of see Dr. Lewis be like, hmm. Well,
2: the piano starting is more important than that. Yeah. The piano starting lets her know that he, he, knows yeah, he knows who she is because his heart races because he's realized he's found her. Yeah. And that's one of the coolest moments for that character is because then he goes, I think we found her. yeah. And then what does he do, Dave? He
3: lunges at her from his chair with the poker and uses the poker to climb the steps and chase after her to the second he's floor. He's been
2: misrepresenting how weak he is. Yeah. He is clearly not able to no. walk comfortably. Yeah. But he's misrepresented that, which makes sense to make your opponent Mm -hmm. underestimate
3: you. Absolutely. So now... We get to the point where he finds the body of Mr. Murray on the bed, and he continues shutting doors, shouting to her that there's no way out. And we now see that Katie is back, hiding behind the mirror of the secret passageway. He fakes a look into it for a second, acts like he doesn't see anything, but then he swings the poker, smashing the glass. He goes inside the secret passageway. Dr. Lewis uh, makes his way up to the attic and searches, and that's when he starts noticing some things, and he sees a cupboard is closed. He goes in and sees a body and he starts hitting the body as Julie's body falls out behind him. Katie comes out from behind the sofa, starts attacking him, stabs him in the back. And that's when he falls off and falls onto the knife.
2: Yes, well, under the, yeah, under the pick, I think, or no, it was uh, a knife.
3: I think it was yeah, no, it was it was a knife. knife. You're
2: right, you're right. But yeah, before
3: yeah. he fall, or before he falls, with the knife, he steps into a bear trap, which is one thing we did leave out at one yeah, there point. Was
2: a, there were all kinds of things yeah. uh, in the attic, in the and attic. one of those is a bear trap. Which again, because the foreshadowing of the mice, yep. and he, and they show him catching a couple of mice throughout yeah. the film, and now he's stepped in the bear trap. He has been checkmated. He's
3: been checkmated. He
2: every move he's made has been anticipated and countered. Yeah. And now he's just a big heaping pile of dead white (laughs)
3: guys. So he goes silent and still, but suddenly sits up, but then falls back down again. We see another figure enter the attic as uh, Katie realizes that it's Rob. He takes the poker from her calmly, begins to stroke her face, and she just realizes that it's him. She calmly goes into him, and then we see the cops are driving them away from the estate. The snow is falling again, and that is the dead of winter. And a damn fine picture. A very fine picture. I... (laughs) <laughs> I didn't it, like this was one that that we were thinking of a couple of weeks ago at the lounge for when we were going to cover on the show. Mm-hmm. And once we once we both said it, we were just like, well, yeah, we have to. Dead of Winter. It's such so a fun good. one.
2: It's so good. Yeah. And it's it's very much a dark horse. It's very much underrated. Do you know how it did in a theater?
3: Uh, I don't off the top of my head, but I can oh, find out you real didn't quick.
2: do your research. Oh, hang on.
3: It's OK. You just had one, so, you had
2: one job. Box office one job. was
3: two point four million. They doesn't have the budget for it. Though, uh, unfortunately. That's, pr- that's not great. I, I don't think it did well. Unfortunately, um, nah, it, it, seems it did like it
2: probably flopped.
3: Yeah, because from what I could what I could find from the critics, it was it was running right about a three point five rating for most of them. Well,
2: we know Siskel and Ebert hated it, <laughs> although. After you were showing me some Siskel and Ebert videos before this show. Yeah. And I I don't know that they ever liked anything. Yeah. I mean, they were just hating on
3: everything. If you want some entertainment, uh, dear listeners, check out their worst ofs uh, for each year, especially the 90s, because, my God, they they didn't like a scene. They hated Drop Dead Fred and Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead.
2: Yeah, and and I felt like they didn't get the point of either of those movies. Although, Drop Dead Fred's a little sillier than Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. This is true. But... Yeah, yeah. No, after after you showed me like five or six videos of them <laughs> just being so hateful to so many movies. Yeah. I think the only thing more entertaining would be watching their funerals.
3: <laughs> Too soon.
2: I said what I said.
3: So uh what I absolutely love about this movie is like I've said it before but the setting the snowy isolated mansion and having such a small cast cuz you really only have like you said about 5 people technically even though one of them plays 3 of them.
2: Yeah. Well and the, and the snow is highly isolating cuz they are not in the middle of nowhere they're no. in a they're in a, a like a rich neighborhood. Yeah. But When the snow comes down hard, those houses, which are a decent distance apart, may as well be a million miles away.
3: Absolutely. And I mean, they they play with the the uh, the ability to get through the snow super well in that chase scene because at one point she is literally grasping at roots to try and pull herself up this hill. She doesn't have a jacket. She's running uh, you know, in the snow, which uh, she commented on on in an interview I watched. Um, they shot this in Ontario, Canada, and she said this was one of the two coldest film sets that she ever been on, the other one being uh, something that she'd done in the BBC. But um, with the real snow on the ground they did use, of course— they were also doing uh, snow machines that were also blowing it at her. So not mm-hmm. only was she running in the snow, but she also had really cold fake snow being blown at her as well.
2: Well, it, it, usually the snow machines are, if they're the high end ones, which yeah. it sounds like it was, it's literally snow. It's yeah. like the stuff you get at the, at a, uh a skiing lodge yeah. or a skiing uh, resort. Yeah. So no, uh, it sounds like it was really cold. It looked yeah. cold and Mary Steenburgen ain't got no fat on that, on them bones. No, she does
3: not. So final thoughts on this one, I am going to give this a rent it. Um, I think this is one you absolutely need to seek out. And if you do want to buy it, you can find copies of it, but you may pay a little more than you want to, but there may or may not be a new one coming out here in the next year.
2: Yeah. I'm going to say, I'll say rent it because it's it's another one of those, all of my ratings have a caveat, which is like, if you are a nut, if you're nuts for underrated thrillers, if you're nuts for classic concepts with great actors, great character actors, it, it's a buy it.
3: Oh, yeah. 100%. But I'll say
2: rent it because I think, I mean, I did. Yeah. <laughs> and it was worth the $3.99 or 4 dollars I paid. You and
3: then you bought it.
2: I... I went on eBay as soon as the film was over because at the time, the Blu-ray was out of print, Yeah, but now it's looking like it's going to be back in print, probably by the time, to- well, not by the time this airs, but yeah. probably shortly after this airs sure. uh, initially.
3: Yeah, I think they, they slated it for a February or a March release, I want to say.
2: Yeah, you. But
3: keep an eye out for Dead of Winter. It is going to be re-released soon, but you can find it readily available right now to stream. Um, and as you know, we like to end the show with another recommendation. I am going to go with the slasher film from 1983, Curtains. Six young actresses auditioning for a movie role at a remote mansion are targeted by a mysterious mass murderer this one has all the isolation of the mansion you've got a straight-up slasher film you've got a really cool scene where the killer is chasing one of the chicks on a, on the ice as well with ice skates
2: i do like that scene a lot
3: yeah and also curtains john is weird as hell john vernon's your, your director in that movie too so playing the director not the director of curtains
2: <laughs> no that's a good suggestion i like that one yeah
3: but no, that, that is uh, that is Dead of Winter. Like I said, easily available to find right now. A great thriller, especially with the winter months that we are getting into right now. So if you have not seen it, well, we just spoiled it, but you should still go watch it right now.
2: Well, and if it's warm weather, it'll chill you.
3: It'll chill you indeed.
2: Well, my friends, it's about time we get out of here. Thank you for watching and hanging out with us, listening on Do You Even Movie. If you want to find out anything at all about what we're doing here, you can go to doyouevenmovie.com. We publish episodes on Tuesdays. Yes. And uh, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening at uh, doyouevenmovie.com or Mm -hmm. on your favorite podcasting app, we sure do appreciate it. Please subscribe wherever you're listening. We would appreciate that a whole hell of a lot. Hell yeah, we would. And also... If you're on a podcasting app, please leave us a star rating, especially on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really helps new people find the show and make sure to share it with your movie-loving friends. If you've got a friend nerdy enough (laughs) to need, to want, to listen to Do You Even Movie, well hell's bells and taco shells is all i got to say uh dave what about what else you got for so you
3: can also find us on tiktok and x and instagram at do you have a movie pod for most of those uh we are releasing some really funny tiktok videos and trying to get the word spread on it so if you want to follow along and share them we would greatly appreciate that and uh, also you can find us on facebook as well
2: yeah yeah so it also like like comment yep etc etc but now my friends we are out of here till next week We'll see you next Tuesday. <laughs> ah, funny, funny. It took you this time. And, and also, you know, if you really love what we're doing, support us on Patreon. All that information at duvenmovie.com. So yes until sir. next time, I've been Enrique Cuto, and I don't care who he is.
3: I've been uh, David Neuer.
2: <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> 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 bye, guys.
3: See ya.